We have one more passage of Scripture, if you would. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4. I'm going to read just a portion of Ecclesiastes 9, and then in verse 4. The preacher writes, For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Let me read it one more time. It's short. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. The word of the Lord. The preacher, the preacher, uh, sometimes people call him Koheleth, but the preacher in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4, he says something very profound. He says, whoever is living, basically, is going to hope. Can't get away from it. Can't get around it. Can't go over it. Got to go through it. Isn't that what the kids say? If you're a human being, you hope. If you're a human being, you, you think. If you're a human being, you speak. If you're a human being, you communicate with other people. If you're a human being, you hope. Um, I, I, I find myself every now and then, I still like to think about the ostrich in Job. Job talks about the ostrich. The ostrich can run 43 miles an hour and he can look back and say basically goodbye to the horse. But the ostrich has no sense. He has no sense, doesn't take care of his little eggs and the little babies inside. But you and I are made to walk upright. You and I are made to be intelligent beings and we will, we will hope. Can't get around it. We think about the future. We envision the future. We think about what, it's, what it might be like, what we want it to be like. Silently, quietly, sometimes more loudly, we want things better than they are. We long for what I may refer to in the sermon as it. We want it. We want satisfaction. Whatever that means, we want it. And we want to have it all the time. Let's think about what uh, definition, the hope of definition uh, is. Definition is, I mean, uh, hope is given this definition by David Tripp. He said, hope is given three basic elements. First, there's the assessment. Then there's an object. And then there's an expectation. Think about assessment. You and I, were human beings and we will observe things. We will evaluate things and we will say, this thing or that person or this part of my life, it, it could be better. It could be improved. Just, that's just a little not so straight. That's got a little crack or this is broken and it needs to be repaired and I want that better. And so that's assessment. And then we think about an object. That's the second part of hope. We have an object. We see something that's broke. We see something that's not quite straight and we want it made right. And so we fix as human beings our hope. We, fix our, we put our trust in something. We surrender. Our, we're persons. Think about yourself. We are people who give ourselves to things. Isn't that true? Folks, listen. I could give myself to Bibles. <laughs> to Bibles. To pens. That's my wife. Pens. I could give myself to rods and reels. We give ourselves to things. And we think those things to which we give ourselves will straighten us out. Will fix the crack will take care of what is broken. We are individuals who focus on objects. And then, third, expectations. We have all our eggs in this basket. 
all our eggs in this person. And then we look for that person to satisfy us and meet all of our needs. That's what we do. This is the kind of people we are. Fight yourself if you want to. But this is what we're like. We do this. We put our affections in things. And then we hope that that thing to which we put our affection will promise and deliver and make sure it meets all our deepest longings. And that brings us to the problem of hope. The problem of hope has to do with when we surrender our hearts to an object, to a thing or to a person on this earth. We surrender our hearts to something on this earth, something horizontal. Let's think about some of the things to which we surrender ourselves. Let's say that you aim at your career. We have people who are aiming at careers right now. We aim at our career. What do you do? Well, you go and you get finished with high school and then you go and maybe you do an internship and Maybe you go the college route. Maybe you go the career route. I don't know which route you go. You're going to train. And so you go and you train. You get all your training. And when you get done with your training, you got your career. You're hired. And then what about it? There's a letdown. You've arrived and you don't have all that you wanted. Why Why do I? I mean, listen, have you ever said this to yourself? Behold, I thought. (laughs) I thought. I think this all. Behold, I thought. I thought if I did this, it would be all good. I thought if I just got this career, everything would be fine. I thought if I just got a gold medal in the Olympics, I'm, I'm it. Go talk to Bruce Jenner. What went wrong? Why am I not satisfied? I'm looking for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and I have not found it. I want it. It's eluding me. To be fair, all along the way of getting my career going, while well, I had some of it, I can say to you that I've had some of it, but I can't keep hold of it. Well, let's say that we go and we add to our career health. Or maybe you just, you know, you got to add. Maybe sometimes we think, okay, well, you know, i got to add something to my career. i got to add health to my career. And so I go and I say, okay, i got to do the diet thing. Now, guys, you know, I, this is what I did for a lot of years. I'd sit down with people got to do the diet thing. I teach people how to eat, teach people how to exercise. Eat, exercise, eat, exercise. And so you go, I'm pot of goals at the end of the rainbow. If I just get the exercise right, if I just, just get the diet right, and so you go get yourself a trainer. And how can you go wrong when you get a cute little girl or a cute little boy to go out and teach you how to exercise and teach you how to eat? And they take care of you and they talk to you. And then all of a sudden you look at your bicep and it's bigger while you shave. These men would come to me and they would be working out with me going, man, Mark, you know what? I'm shaving my biceps bigger. But it's not all that they envisioned. But see, I thought. I thought if I got the diet thing going. And I thought if I got the exercise thing going. And I thought if I got on the treadmill and walked this many miles. And I thought if I got 5,000 to 10,000 steps a day like you're supposed to, right? Start doing that and see how you feel. That I would be all good. And to be fair, there's been some great times along the way. I've been, look, I really am pretty good on the treadmill. And I'm pretty good at lifting weights and all the rest. But at the end of the day, folks, have you ever just said to yourself, I've got a mouthful of dust? I'm not really satisfied. If I thought, I thought. Well, let's say we aim at love. We've looked at career, we've looked at uh, health. Let's aim at love. I'm going to be all things to my spouse. My my spouse is going to be all things to me. And I'm going to labor at my relationship with my wife. I'm working on love. 
I'm working on love. And so I go and I work hard all day and she works hard all day. And we come home and we go out and we look at each other in the eyes while we're drinking coffee. And we just goo goo over each other. And we just can't believe how much we love each other. And then we go home and we fix ourselves something to eat. And I fix her something. She, we take care of each other's needs. And we sit around and we hug and we kiss and we go to bed. And it's all good. And it's all, I mean, and then all of a sudden, one of one of the persons sits there and goes, you know, I'm giving everything I've got to this person, but she's not, or he's not recipro- reciprocating to me the way I thought that she would. Hmm. Not all I thought it was going to be. And then maybe our spouse looks at us and says, you know, you're wanting so much out of me. You're demanding so much of me. I feel like you're going to crush me to death. And so either we walk around not, not having the love reciprocated we thought we would get, or we walk around and we feel terrible that we're crushing somebody. To be fair, there were some great moments along the way. To be fair, I had it some, but it just was so elusive. But I want it all the time. Now, how many more examples could I give you? I have a friend who's got a hundred pair of shoes. One was just not enough. How many things do we need to prop us up? All these things, they they give us a jolt and then we let down. We have this hope, you see, when we put our hope in earthly things, earthly persons, earthly objects, we get all that that person can give us along with all the disillusionment that comes with putting all our affection on that thing or that person. Because they were never meant, earthly things were never meant to be the thing that satisfies me. That's what we get. Never. If you focus on your career, if you focus on your health, if you focus on your marriage, if you focus on fountain pens, they'll all let you down. They just won't do it. And even when I'm at the top of my career, even when I'm at the peak of my health, even when I'm at the best of my marriage... It's going to let me down. Sometimes there were wonderful things along the way, but I just don't seem to be able to hold on to it. And this is the problem that we have with hope. And so we can go to the next book, we can go to the next diet, we can go to the next workout, we can go to the next marriage. And we still won't find it. That's the problem. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we know the very moment. Have have you ever thought about this? I think about this because I think about this. I think about weird stuff sometimes. But I'm sitting there yesterday with all our men sitting over there in that corner. And we're sitting there and we're talking. And it's about 1025. And I'm realizing this is so good. And I'm going, it's going to end. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, you're looking in your wife's eyes and she's looking into your eyes. And you know, we're going to have to go home. (laughs) We're going to have to end this night. Monday's coming. You know, I buried a seven-year-old back in 2015. Let me tell you something that happened. It was sad. It was a very sad time. These two little girls right here up here in the front, they were much younger. This is eight years ago. They took me outside. They took my shoes off. I didn't know what was happening. They took my socks off. And then I saw all the nail polish. And they began to paint my toes. And I didn't want it to end. But I knew it would. I knew it would. We have these conversations. We have these times that 
We don't want it to end, but we know it's going to end because Monday's coming. It's just beyond our grasp. Well, how do we deal with the problem of hope? How do we deal when we deal with this when we fix our affection on things and objects and persons? Then they don't meet up to my expectations. The commercial told me that they would. You know, I have a computer software. It seems to say to me every time it's like it says this, Hey, listen, if you'll just buy this book, these sermons will write themselves. I mean, think about that. Do you ever feel that way? Hey, this commercial, this car, if you just drive this car, you got it, you're there. And then, you know, we don't even need a book or somebody. We just, we say this to ourselves. If I just do this, if I just do this, if I just do enough of this, if I just do that right, then everything's going to be all right. I'm going to be on Mount, I'm going to be on the mountaintop and never come down. And then there's the letdown. So let's think about four wrong ways to deal with the problem of hope. And then we'll look at one right way. Here's the four wrong ways. First, and C.S. Lewis gives us this one. He, he calls it the blame game. He calls it an endless treadmill. I've seen this over and over in my life. Have you? You go and you give yourself to something. You give all your affections to a person, a place, a thing, whatever it is. You give yourself to it. They don't come up and meet all your expectations. Your longings and your desires are not met. And so what do you do? You blame them. You blame the pen. You blame the Bible. You blame the person. Hmm. You didn't do everything you promised. And so this is this endless treadmill. And so you're sort of like a bee. Have you ever seen bees? You ever seen butterflies? I see them every day. I go walk out there by my little spot. I see these bees and I see these butterflies and they go from one flower to the next. Little nectar here, little nectar there. And that's what people who blame objects and things do. They're off to the next thing because you see they weren't satisfied in that last one. It's like a treadmill constantly running. None of these things are enough. We have to always be looking to the next thing. And so maybe we might say to ourselves, just put it as far as marriage goes, well, she didn't satisfy me, he didn't satisfy me, so I'm off to the divorce court to get to the next one. The second one is youthful optimism. A youthful optimist is somebody who says, okay, now I know, I know that a thing is not going to satisfy me, an earthly thing is not going to satisfy me, but see, you don't know me. I'm young enough. And I hear about the problems, and I hear about the difficulties, and I hear what you're saying. But you see, I'm going to work so hard, and I'm going to get through all the hardships, and I know that if I work hard enough that I will eventually get it because I am the, listen, exception to the rule. (laughs) There's no exceptions to this rule. There are no exceptions to this rule. If you go talk to anybody in Hollywood, if you go talk to anybody who reaches the zenith of the zenith of their stuff, every one of them is going to say there's a letdown. Third, this is the way of the disillusioned. This is, again, from C.S. Lewis. He says the disillusioned man is the man who sees all his unfulfilled hopes and dreams, and he sees his unfulfilled expectations, and he looks at them in a sensible way. And so he's looking for it, but then he comes to the conclusion that it doesn't exist. It's an illusion. It's all moonshine. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You go outside at night, you see the shiny moon, and then you wake up in the morning and it's not there. 
He says it's all gone. He adds up. You know what we do? We do this all the time. You know, we're all scientists, aren't we? We all are adding up data every day. We're adding up our own data, whatever you want to call it, anecdotal data. We're adding it up. And then we make decisions. And this man, he's added up all the data, and he says it doesn't exist. There's no satisfaction. It's not there. In fact, sometimes this man will be a little bit older because he's older. He will harden his heart against the very thing that, he's, that he has built into him as a person. And he begins to act less than human by not hoping. And yet, just like everything else, when we sit here and we say that we are too hard to hope and there's no hope left in us, it always seems to pop out, doesn't it? Because we're made to assess things and we're made to put our affection on objects and things and we're made to be people who have expectations. Well, fourth, here's the fourth wrong way to deal with the problem of hope. We've said the blame game has to do with one person. We said the blame game is like a, like a person run, wandering around. I used to see men and women in the gym doing this, wandering around like, like bees looking for the next person to, to be a part of their lives and be a friend with them. Let's just say that we don't blame a person or a thing. Let's just say that we're individuals who join together in order to make things better. Now we're talking about activism. And I'm not saying that all activism is wrong. In fact, some of it is right. But when an activist joins together with other activists, now I'm not alone. I'm with 50, I'm with 100 people, maybe I'm with 1,000 people. Do you think that they're going to be satisfied when they go out and they're being activists for something or another? They're going to all, they're going to all be on the treadmill together. They're going to all be disillusioned together. It's not just one this time, it's many. We hear a lot about these activists today who are blaming, blaming one group about their lack of happiness. They're blaming one group about their lack of stuff and their lack of opportunities. And they all go out and they all blame and blame and blame. And then they turn right around and you know what happens? <laughs> They're, none of them are happy. You ever seen any of these guys happy? I don't see any peace in these guys. I don't see any happy at all. So these are all joining together and they're all on the treadmill at the same time. And these are four wrong ways to deal with the problem of hope. But let's look at the right way to deal with hope. We've looked at four impotent ways to deal with hope. And here is, I think, the right way. The Christian response would be this. To ask this question, why do I have all these hopes? Why do I have all these dreams and all these longings only for them never to be fulfilled? Did you hear that? Why am I a person made like this, and yet I'm always going to be disillusioned? Always? Surely there's some better answer than that. And the Christian answers the problem like this. As long as you and I look at earthly things and persons and, and people, as long as we look on the earth, we get the person and the thing along with all, as I said earlier, all the dissatisfaction and all the disillusionment that goes along with those things. As long as we don't look higher, we'll never have satisfaction. To be sure, listen folks, to be sure, every don't ever think these expectations are real. This is how we really are made. Go fight yourself. 
(laughs) Go harden your heart. Go act like a stoic. Go act like you don't have any feelings. Friend, you do. You do. All our dreams and all our expectations, one man said, should be like fingers that point us to a world outside of ourselves. Should be like fingers that point us to hopes, to a place where all our hopes are going to be satisfied. The answer the Bible gives us is this. There's one true and living God, and He created the heavens and the earth, and He created man on that earth, and He did not walk away from it, but He continues to act into it at all times. He is God with us. He is always present among us. And as we have seen, we are creatures of hope. We love to put our faith in something. When we give ourselves to earthly things, we get all the problems along with the earthly things we trust in. But the Christian's hope is rooted in God who intervened into this history and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from the problem of our hope. Our problem with hope began in the Garden of Eden with our first parents. God promised Adam and Eve. He promised them eternal hope. He told them, here it all is. One thing I ask you not to do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, listen. So that was it. You're going to be totally fulfilled. I fulfill you. And there was another person that came along and his name was Satan. He says, let me tell you what I want you to do. I'll give you everything you ever believed. Just eat the fruit that the Creator made. Don't focus on Him. Focus on it. Focus on a particular object on the earth. Focus on a thing, not on the guy who made the thing. And that's where everybody goes wrong. Adam and Eve, they looked at the thing and not at the God who made the thing. Think about this. You can just meditate on that for the next 10 years. Where do you find your hope? Well, these guys, they were hoodwinked by Satan. This serpent looking real shiny and pretty. And they took hold of the thing. And they chose to look down. And they chose that as the way of satisfaction. And they were bitterly dissatisfied. It's our nature to look down. It's our nature to look away from the Creator and look at creation. It's that, that is our nature. And you can go and say it's the nature of our world to tell us to do exactly the same thing. In fact, our world will allow us to think about things outside this world only once. And I'm thinking about this. Only, I think there's only one time that you're allowed to think about heavenly things, and that's when people die. We'll let you grieve and we'll let you think about heaven for a while when somebody dies. We'll let you use that as your coping device, but then we will expect for you to get your eyes back on the earth. <laughs> That's what the world says. This is the nature of man to look down, but the Bible tells us that there's a, that our God was also looking down. And God did not make all of these hopes and longings in us to be com- completely dashed to pieces. God made us so that our hopes and dreams might be completely satisfied, not in a piece of fruit, but in the person who made the fruit. Jesus... I mean, How many times does Jesus say, I am the bread of life? How many times does Jesus say, I'm the water? How many times does Jesus say, I'm the vine? How many times does Jesus say all these things? It's in Him. He made us this way so that we find all our hope in Him. 
And He made the salvation He provided for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we're going to come to Christmas season and we're going to see He's God with us. He's the God who sent Himself, sent His Son to us to save us from our sins. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have peace with God. You have forgiveness with God. You have this wonderful acceptance with Him. And how can we know that this is true and not a lie? Well, we can know because because God says it is. God says it is. And we know this is true because God sent His Son to this earth. This is real historical stuff. Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus is the one who spoke words that no other man has ever heard. Jesus preached. Jesus did works. Jesus went to the cross totally sinless so that you and all your looking downs could be forgiven. All your looking downs can be forgiven through the cross. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, look, you get a payoff. The pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow, folks. <laughs> it's there. It really is there. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation with this Creator who's made us to be a people of hope. You find this is real. This fact of history not only goes into the ground, He rises up from the grave and first up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first. He's the captain. He's the the Savior of all. He rises first. He rises. He's first in the rank. He's first in all of these things. He's the first fruits. He rises first. And then he guarantees us that we will rise up with our own resurrection. He wanders around for 40 days teaching people all about what he was teaching all before he died. He wanders around and he visits people and he talks to people. And you and I, we too, we're going to rise from the dead with our own resurrection. And we know this is real. There is a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. There will be, listen, every desire, every dream. You know one of the things that men come up and talk to me the most? They say, Pastor Wheat, this is so unjust. I said, when Jesus comes, it'll all be put right. It'll all be put right. You want deepest love? It'll all be right. You want all your longings met? It'll all be done right. Ultimately, it's all met in Jesus Christ. The new heavens and the new earth is ours, just not yet. We have the certainty of this hope if we put all our trust not in a thing, not in an object, not in a person on the earth, but in Jesus Christ. Well, what about now? If I know this is true, and I know that my pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow, if I put my faith in Jesus, what about now? What do I do? Do I just sit around and twiddle my thumbs until He comes? Is that what I do? Well, of course not. See, we make our assessment. We make our assessment. We say, I'm broken. Say, I'm broken. And now I find somebody else. I find somebody outside the world. I find Jesus Christ. I put all my trust and all my hope and all my eggs in His basket. In my whole expectation is totally different. My motives are different. My perceptions are different. Because now I have something outside looking forward to. I know the pot of gold is out there, so how am I going to live? Well, let me tell you a story. You know, um, you guys know that Evan, my son, has been working at Chick-fil-A. So I have, I have, more, I have more knowledge of Chick-fil-A than most of you. 
I can tell you about the body bag later, but I won't tell you that right now. Um, but, but I want you to imagine with me the manager hiring two men, young men, 18 years old. So the eight, one 18-year-old goes in and talks to the manager and he says, at the end of the year, I'm going to pay you $10,000. At the end of the year, son, after all your hard work, $10,000. And he goes off to work. And then he looks at another man and he says, now, son, I want you to work for me and I'm going to pay you at the end of the year, I'm going to pay you $10 million. $10 million. So both of these young men go into work and they, one of them's working, the other one's working, and one of them's not so happy and one of them's so super happy. What's why? And so they get together at dinner or lunch or, you know, they get together and they start talking. This one guy's going, look what they make you do. This guy, he's such a hard manager. I really don't like him. And my triceps, they're so tired from doing the breading. And I'm so tired of hurrying and no pickles on this order and pickles on this order and waffle fries. Oh, I'm wrong order here. And I got to make sure it's all on time. And I sure don't like saying my pleasure. And then you got the other guy. The other guy says, what do you mean? I love the manager. I love the pressure. I love the fact that when I push the bread down, I'm getting a big tricep. Have you checked that out lately? And do you understand that I love the pressure of getting things done on time and doing all this work and doing it just the way it's supposed to? I just can't believe how good these guys are. I love this manager. What's the difference? Well, the end's the difference. One guy's working for $10,000. One guy's working for $10 million. The payoff is what makes the difference. One's motivated, one's not. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you know $10 million is at the end of the rainbow, you're motivated, friend, to do the right thing. To obey the commandments of God. Oh yeah, I'm not going to sit here and act like none of this is hard. We just got through praying a while ago. You know, praying, praying for those classes that nobody likes to take, but everybody has to take to just get through the degree. Right? We all understand, oh, I've got to go do that course. And, and to, yes, if you want to keep working here, you do. You know how many times I was taught in the hospital for three years how to wash my hands? Every two weeks. Okay. Okay. You know how many times I went through these classes where they were teaching me how to, how to be a, an adult at the hospital? More than I can count. Okay. Okay. It keeps my job. So I learned to do even those sorts of things to the glory of God because, look, there's something down here. There's something down here. It's waiting on me. Jesus is waiting on me. Being face-to-face with Christ is waiting on me. And so I go and I'm motivated. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. We've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. And so I go out and I do them. Think about the young man who's going to get the $10 million. What's he doing? Is he sitting around? Evan told me, Evan told me, I'll be real careful how I say this. He said there were guys who would go to the restroom and stay in there for 45 minutes. What are you doing in there? They, you know their business is already done? Well, they're probably on their phone. They're just, what are you doing if you're, you're, if you're going to make $10 million? You're, you're, you're out there. You're, you're doing the work. You're serving. You're doing the work. You're trying to please the guy who hired you. In the same way as if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know $10 million is at the end of the road. What are you going to do for Jesus? You're going to go serve Him. You're going to go love Him. You're going to go give yourself to Him. You're going to go, look, you're going to go give yourself to people. 
Because you know the two commandments that are very important. The fourth, the fourth, the first four commandments are all about God. The last six commandments are all about man. And Jesus says in real short order, he says, love God and love people. I'm going to go love God and I'm going to go love people. I'm going to make this world a better place wherever I am. In conclusion, our hope is secure. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Your hope secure. Every, can you imagine? Everything is going to be perfectly met in the future. Oh yeah, we're going to have some letdowns here. But we're, well, you know what? That's what we learn. We learn when we have that letdown. <laughs> Go out. I'm going to be real personal here. I got me a new Bible. And you know what I'm finding? Hey, you know what I'm finding? I'm using my iPad more than I'm using my Bible. Because I can look at all kinds of translations on my iPad. So I got my pretty Bible and I'm not using it as much as I thought I would. I'm not supposed to find all my expectations and all my hopes in things. In persons. And when I put all my faith and all my trust in God, I can enjoy the persons in my life the way I ought to as gifts from God. My wife is a gift from God, but I don't need to put all my hope and trust in her because she can't be God to me. Things can't give me everything. So I learned to put all my hope and trust in God and I enjoy the things that God gives me on the earth. If you and I, let me close like this. If we aim at our job, if we aim at our health, if we aim at our career and look only at the earth, we lose all of it. You can gain the whole world, Jesus says, and lose yourself. You can gain it all. One day, my health is going to go. Talked to my friend the other day who is younger than me and he has advanced ALS. His health is going. But he has something beyond this world who came to this world to save us and give us a hope so that we can have that $10 million at the end of this life. And we praise God that we can live for Him and enjoy the things of this world now. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity to worship You this morning. We thank You for the, the time of singing. We thank You for the time of praying and looking to You and bringing our hearts to You. Father, we thank You for uh, Sunday to reflect on what hope is. And we pray, Father, that we would learn the lesson of the garden, that we would put all our hope and all our trust in you and your promises and not in things so that we might enjoy you all these days we have. Enjoy the persons and the things that you give us as gifts. And Lord, as we look forward to the hope and joy of being in your presence forever and ever. I pray that you will give us this and teach us this every day of our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.